All right, so we'll be reading from Job chapter 28. There is a mine for silver and a place where gold is refined. Iron is taken from the earth and copper is smelted from ore. Mortals put an end to the darkness. They search out the farthest recesses for ore in the blackest darkness. Far from human dwellings, they cut a shaft in places untouched by human feet. Far from other people, they dangle and sway. The earth from which food comes is transformed below as by fire. Lapis lazuli comes from its rocks, and its dust contains nuggets of gold. No bird of prey knows that hidden path. No falcon's eye has seen it. Proud beasts do not set foot on it, and no lion prowls there. People assault the flinty rock with their hands and lay bare the roots of the mountains. They tunnel through the rock. Their eyes see all its treasures. They search the sources of the rivers and bring hidden things to light. But where can wisdom be found? Where does understanding dwell? No mortal comprehends its worth. It cannot be found in the land of the living. The deep says, it is not in me. The sea says, it is not with me. It cannot be bought with the finest gold, nor can its price be weighed out in silver. It cannot be brought with the gold of Ophir, with precious onyx or lapis lazuli. Neither gold nor crystal can compare with it, nor can it be had for jewels of gold. Coral and jasper are not worthy of mention. The price of wisdom is beyond rubies. The topaz of Cush cannot compare with it. It cannot be bought with pure gold. Where then does wisdom come from? Where does understanding dwell? It is hidden from the eyes of every living thing, concealed even from the birds in the sky. Destruction and death say, only a rumour of it has reached our ears. God understands the way to it, and he alone knows where it dwells. For he views the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. When he established the force of the wind and measured out the waters, when he made a decree for the rain and a path for the thunderstorm, then he looked at wisdom and appraised it. He confirmed it and tested it. And he said to the human race, The fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to shun evil is understanding. Hello, everybody. My name's Mark. I'm going to be pedantic and do something that's been bothering me. <clears throat> we can we can continue. That's fine. Um, uh, before we get into the passage for tonight, let me just uh, make a quick announcement, which is that next uh, Sunday night after 6 p.m. church, we're going to be having dinner together out in the foyer. Woohoo! Uh, so stick around for that. Uh, it might be a good week to invite some friends along. That'd be a great way for us to connect with them and invite them into the community here. Uh, if you're interested in helping out in that sort of thing in the future, you could speak to Carissa. Is Carissa here? I haven't looked for her. Chris is not here. The one time I should have checked. There, you can speak to Beth Shaw over there uh, if you'd like to help out with dinner next week uh, or in the future. That'd be really helpful. That's it. Let's pray and ask for God's help, and then we'll have a think about Job 28. Uh, gracious God, thank you uh, for being a God who wants to be known. Thank you that you have gone out of your way and gone to such great lengths so that we would know exactly who you are. Thank you that you sent your son, Jesus, the word incarnate, into this world the exact representation of your being so that we could look at him and know you. And thank you too, Lord, that you have given us your word written down 
uh, in your Bible. Thank you that we can read it tonight and hear you speaking. Uh, Lord, we really do need to hear your voice because without you choosing to reveal yourself to us, there is nothing that we can know. So please, by your spirit, would you do that tonight? Help us to see you clearly. Uh, help us to get a sense of our own predicament in this life. And Lord, would your spirit please draw us to Jesus tonight? We ask in his name. Amen. Uh, I've been learning a little bit lately about the topic of transhumanism. Anyone know a little bit about transhumanism? You ever heard that word before? Uh, transhumanism is a philosophical and scientific movement which essentially believes that the human race can evolve past the current kind of physical and mental limitations that we exist with. And the strategy transhumanists have is to basically incorporate as much advanced technology into our bodies as possible. That way they think we will be able to get past the things that sort of lock us in as human beings. Now that kind of an idea used to be the kind of thing that science fiction writers wrote about in the 1950s and 60s. That's actually where the idea started, but uh, technology has caught up with the realm of ideas and it's now starting to get a bit of mainstream attention and some traction. Uh, just last year, if you were paying attention, uh, Jeff Bezos, the founder of Amazon, third richest man in the world, invested $3 billion of his own money into a corporation called Atlas Labs, which is a biotech company whose mission is to try to reverse aging and cure all disease. Okay, he obviously thinks that's a good investment of $3 billion. Elon Musk, the founder of Tesla, second richest man in the world, uh, back in 2016, he founded a company called Neuralink. Neuralink's mission is to create implantable brain chips to put into people's brains so that we can get past our limits of cognitive abilities. Elon Musk throwing money at the cause as well. Both these guys have noticed that there are limitations in being human. That's just kind of part of the deal of being human, isn't it? There are all sorts of limits that we have on our being. There are physical limits, just things that we are physically incapable of doing. Uh, you're, some of you are too young to realize this. I'm getting closer and closer to my 40th birthday and pretty routinely I wake up and discover there's a new physical limit that I have to deal with in my life that wasn't there last week or last month. That's just part of being human, isn't it? There are, of course, <laughs> limits. There are limits to what we can control as human beings as well. And we are not all powerful, are we? And again, some of you are too young to realize that you're not in charge of the universe. Uh, here's my hot tip for you. If you want to figure out that you really can't control an awful lot, have a kid. That works for me. Uh, it's a great lesson to discover, boy, your, your control over even just another person, it starts and stops real quickly. There are mental limitations that you live with every single day. You, you know, you don't know this, but there are 10 million things happening around you every second of the day, and you cannot be perceptive of all of them. You just It's not within you. You're incapable of doing that. You cannot understand everything that comes at your brain. You cannot know everything that there is to know. There are some things that are just beyond your capacity as a human being. You have limits. It's part of being human. And I think you can either choose to make peace with those limits or you can choose to kind of kick back against them, try and, try and push against those limits like the transhumanists want to do, to try and overcome them. And, uh, you know, time will tell, I guess, whether the transhumanists are going to be successful in that, in breaking some of the limits that we have as human beings. Now, the reason I mention all of that is because this chapter of Job that we're looking at today, chapter 28, it is all about human limitations, particularly when it comes to our ability 
to find wisdom and knowledge. And really what this chapter is going to do for us tonight is it's going to put a choice before us. It's going to make us decide whether we are going to make peace with our limits and live within them or whether we are going to be, we are just going to refuse to live within our limits and to kick back against them. Now, if you've been uh, here over the last three weeks as we've already gotten into the book of Job, you'll, you'll know that that's not really a new idea. That's kind of been coming up for a little while as we've been reading through the book. Uh, if you weren't here for that, let me just give you a crash course in the book of Job. You're introduced to Job in chapter one. He is a righteous man, the most righteous man on earth. Uh, he is a man, though, who loses everything overnight, basically, his livelihood or his workforce, his family and his health. They are taken away from him in an instant. And Job goes on this journey of intense suffering, chapter after chapter, trying to just work out what is going on in his life, asking big questions about why this is happening to him. And uh, along the way, Job gets some uh, help from his three friends, and uh, they think they understand why this has happened to Job. And their thesis is basically, Job, bad things happen to bad people. A bad thing has happened to you, so you must be a bad person. You must have done evil. So Job, repent, turn back to God, and God will fix it all for you. That's their thesis, essentially. And the three friends basically give that argument three times each over the course of 25 chapters or so. It takes them a long time basically to say nothing. Uh, they, their, their reasoning kind of runs out by uh, the start of chapter 26. And Job, that, along that whole journey, realizes that his friends are wrong. He's very clear about that. He agrees with his friends to a, to a point that God is in control of this, that God is good, that God is just. Yes, that God punishes evil. But he says, I haven't done evil. I haven't done the great sins that you're accusing me of that would make me deserving of all this suffering. And so Job, you see at this point in the book, he's just stuck. He doesn't know how to make sense of what's happening to him. He is at the limit of his wisdom and his understanding. He desperately wants to know why this is taking place, but he can't figure out why God is doing this to him. He's been searching for answers, coming up empty. And so you can understand that he's getting more and more frustrated as the book goes, more and more confused about what this whole thing, this whole situation is. And here, as we come to chapter 28, we are in the midst of his final speech in the book, his sort of final defense, if you like, of his own righteousness. And it's a very confusing few chapters if you keep reading around these chapters. But here in chapter 28, we get a hymn to wisdom. It's very peculiar. It stands out. It's unique in all of the book to be written in such a calm and peaceful tone. It is, I think, kind of the moment of clarity for Job in the midst of all of what has been going on for him. Some pretty dark chapters of the Bible. And the focus of this chapter is actually really clear. You could spot it there. There's a refrain. It comes up twice in verse 12 and verse 20. Verse 12 says, But where can wisdom be found? Where does understanding dwell? Verse 20 where then does wisdom come from? Where does understanding dwell? You see, all this chapter is about is the quest for wisdom and humanity's limitation on that quest to find understanding in life. And as we work through this chapter, it's got a very simple structure and quite a simple message, actually. Job is going to start in verse 1 by making the case that mankind can discover just about anything. This is his starting point. This is 1 to 11. Mankind can discover almost anything. Uh, Job starts, you, you saw there, in, as Chloe read, uh, by celebrating kind of human ingenuity. Uh, he starts by talking about the example of mining. 
which in Job's day and age was kind of one of the most technologically advanced of the sciences. Ancient man was very good at mining things out of the earth. You know, developments in how humans mined resources, that was kind of at the heart of propelling humanity through various sort of stages of civilization from the Bronze Age to the Iron Age and so on. It was developments in mining, more or less, that led to it. You see, our ability to mine things from the earth, it shows something about how resourceful we are how determined we are, how capable we are as a species. So have a read from verse 1 there. There is a mine for silver and a place where gold is refined. Iron is taken from the earth and copper is smelted from ore. See, our ability to mine, it is a remarkable achievement. And Job's going to go and explain just what's so significant about it in the next verses. Verse 3, he says, Mortals put an end to the darkness they search out the farthest recesses for ore in the blackest darkness. Far from human dwellings, they cut a shaft in places untouched by human feet. Far from other people, they dangle and sway. All right, so he's painting this picture of these, these hidden places, these dark recesses, a long, long way away from other civilization. But miners, he says, they, they can go into those places and find things that are precious and hidden. And, you know, the, the scene there of going into a mountain, a mountain is the most immovable obstacle that you could imagine in our world. But Job is saying that, that that's not going to stop us from getting what we want out of them. We'll, we'll go to those places. And, and we are unique, really, uh, on the whole earth at being so determined to find what we're looking for. Job makes the comparison there in verse 7 to a falcon, you know, this bird of prey that's got wicked keen eyesight, can see its prey from a mile away. Well, falcons, they don't know the path to, to go to those dark hidden places. They can't reach them. Or he compares it to a lion, verse 8, the, the strongest and the bravest creature that there is. Well, they don't set foot in the darkness. No, it's, it's only us who do that. We are exceptional amongst all the creatures on the earth. Verse 9, people assault the flinty rock with their hands. They lay bare the roots of the mountains. They tunnel through the rock. Their eyes see all its treasures. They search the sources of the rivers and bring hidden things to light. There's almost nothing that can stop us from getting what we want, from discovering hidden things. And now, of course, Job's illustration here about mining, it has only proven to be more true over time. It's more true today than it was for Job. I did some research earlier this week. I uh, looked at the Guinness Book of World Records and learned about the deepest mine on the planet. It's in a place in Johannesburg in South Africa. It's the Maponang Gold Mine. And its mine shafts go down some four kilometers into the earth. Just get your head around how much effort that must be to, to go down that far to reach gold. But it hasn't stopped us. We've done it. I learned about, as well, the largest mining excavator. Uh, this is the Takraf Bagger 293. It is the heaviest land vehicle ever built. It is 225 metres long. It weighs over 14,000 tonnes, and it can move 85,000 tonnes of earth and rubble in a single day. It's impressive stuff. We can do incredible things when it comes to mining. There is nothing really that can stand in our way of finding what we want and unearthing those hidden treasures. But I hope you can see... Job is actually, he's talking about mining as an illustration. He's not actually that concerned about mining. It's a demonstration, really, of the human ability to seek out and to understand just about anything in the world. You know, as a, a species, we have 
done some incredible searching, haven't we? We have accumulated so much knowledge about the world that we live in. Just think about the, the total knowledge that we possess here in 2023 about the field, for example, of mathematics. No person on the earth could know everything that there is to know about mathematics. Or think about the natural sciences, physics, biology, chemistry. Or think about the applied sciences, engineering and medicine. Human beings have racked up so much knowledge about these areas and about so many things, haven't we? The sum total of human knowledge is unfathomable. Nothing has stood in our way. There is no obstacle too high, no cost too great that we have not paid it. We get what we want. When you look at human achievements over the span of the centuries, and you look at, for example, our ability to mine the earth, I think you could be forgiven for thinking, well, whatever limitations that we may have, they're only temporary, we'll, we'll overcome them, we'll find out whatever it is that we set our minds to. However, Job's next point is to say that despite how far we've come, there is still one thing that eludes us. Second point from verse 12 True wisdom is beyond us. That's what Job's going to go on to say. True wisdom is beyond us. Read with me from verse 12. He says, But where can wisdom be found? Where does understanding dwell? Answer, no one knows. No mortal comprehends its worth. It cannot be found in the land of the living. The deep says, it's not in me. The sea says, it's not with me. You know, we can dig into the literal darkness of the earth and come out with literal gemstones. That's difficult, but we've managed it. But digging into the metaphorical darkness of the world, the mysteries of the light of life and the universe, and coming out with kind of metaphorical gems of wisdom, that's a lot harder to do, isn't it? Now, just to be clear here, we're talking about wisdom. I don't think Job is saying that it is impossible to go through life making any sort of wise choices. Like we're all just a bunch of bumbling idiots. We don't know our heads from our tails. None of us have wisdom. I don't think that's what Job is saying because the Bible is actually full of wisdom. The Bible offers you wisdom. The book of Proverbs is a book written chock full of wisdom, encouraging you to seek after it and to learn it and to live by it, teaching you how to be a good friend, how to make good choices with your money, those sort of things. God is interested in you having that sort of wisdom. We could call that maybe Wisdom with a small W, okay? What Job is talking about here, though, is wisdom with a capital W. He's talking about the answers and the understanding about deep mysteries of how God runs the universe. Those big existential questions that we ask. Why are we here? What is my purpose? What is human life for? What's the right way to use this life? Why, why is my life this way and not that way? Why is this thing happening to me? How is this all going to turn out? Those kinds of existential questions, you will not find the answers to those questions in the engineering faculties or the philosophy departments of the universities. You will not find wisdom like that searching out a guru to listen to or an influencer who you respect. You will not find wisdom like that by digging down into the earth in a Takraf Bagger 293, no matter how technologically impressive it is. That sort of wisdom, those big existential questions, answers to them are beyond you. Back in 2005, uh, in a lecture about cosmology, the late Stephen Hawking said this. He, he declared, we are getting close 
to answering all of the age-old questions. Why are we here? Where did we come from? And on he went. Any honest person has got to push back on that and ask, are we? Are we getting close (laughs) to discovering all the answers to the universe? Really? I think that that kind of offer, that expectation that human beings will advance enough to learn everything there is to know about the universe, that has been dangled in front of us like a carrot on a string for at least 300 years since the Enlightenment. The promise that if, if we just set our minds to the task, our intellect knows no bounds. I want to suggest that, well, we've been waiting for 300 years and the answers are not forthcoming and I don't think we should hold our breath. Job, you see... He knows that we live in a world of unanswered questions. His own experience has taught him that. His dialogue with his friends, his searching for wisdom, has taught him that there are no real answers to be found here. Despite the intellect of his friends, they've got a lot of good reasons and logic in their argument, but no real answers. You see, whether you like it or not, that's our world. A world of unanswered questions. That's the deal. That is just one of the human limitations that you cannot overcome. True wisdom is beyond you. Which is a great shame, isn't it? Because true wisdom, that kind of capital W wisdom, that is more valuable than anything else in the world. Job makes that point from verse 15. He says this, It cannot wisdom be bought with the finest gold, nor can it its price be weighed out in silver. It cannot be bought with the gold of Ophir, with precious onyx or lapis lazuli. Neither gold nor crystal can compare with it, nor can it be had for jewels of gold. Coral and jasper are not worthy of mention. The price of wisdom is beyond rubies. The topaz of Cush cannot compare with it. It cannot be bought with pure gold. You know, if you could figure out the price of wisdom on the stock exchange, it would, you know, be leaps and bounds ahead of gold and diamonds. Think if there was... For example, a crystal ball that existed in the world that gave you the answer to all of the biggest questions that you could ever ask in life. How much would you pay to get your hands on that? I think all of us would sell everything we have, wouldn't we, to to find out the answers to those questions? Yet, having all the wealth of Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk, it will not do you any good because true wisdom is not for sale. It cannot be bought. That's Job's point here. True wisdom really is beyond us. And I want to ask you how that sits with you tonight. As you think about those existential questions that you do from time to time lose sleep over, to be told, no, you can't find the answer to it, how does that sit with you? Does that annoy you at all? I I don't think many of us like to be told that we have a limit here that we cannot ever cross. Because it's humbling to be told that no matter what we do, we cannot ever arrive at those answers to those big existential questions. You know, personally, I want that knowledge. (laughs) I want those kinds of answers to the big why questions. My feeling is that I do want to kick back against those kind of limitations in my life. Because as as a human, human species, we are so capable of finding out so many things. But not this. How does it sit with you? I think perhaps like Job, it's only in suffering when you are forced to make peace with that limitation. 
you know, when the illusion of the control that you think you have in your life is shattered, perhaps that's the place where you are forced to acknowledge that actually you don't really know how this whole thing works. You know, when you cannot make sense of what is going on in your life, perhaps that's the place where you find humility. Job's reflections don't stop there. He's made the case that true wisdom is beyond us, but the last thing that he's going to say in this passage is that true wisdom belongs to God alone. True wisdom belongs to God alone. From verse 23, let's read. God understands the way to it, and he alone knows where it dwells. For he views the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. You see the contrast here? We don't know, but God does know. We can't find it, but God can. We are limited in what we can find out, but God actually sees all and knows all. There's no limitations on him. Wisdom, you see, belongs to God and Job goes on and he, he makes the point that God used this wisdom that is so inherent to him to, to establish and to govern the world. That's how intimately acquainted with wisdom he is. Look at verse 25. When he established the force of the wind, he's thinking back to creation, and he measured out the waters, when he made a decree for the rain and a path for the thunderstorm, then he looked at wisdom and appraised it. He confirmed it and tested it. Uh, the book of Proverbs, chapter 8, talks in this kind of language as well about wisdom being used by God at the creation and kind of being at his side when he established the heavens. It's kind of this imagery of God being a master craftsman who is skillfully using wisdom as a tool as, that he has complete mastery over. See, at, at this point of the book of Job, Job has come to realize that he is unable to discover the deep mysteries of the universe. He's tried and he's come up empty. He's convinced that wisdom does exist. It is out there, but it's beyond his reach. So where does that leave him? If Job is to understand why this is happening in his life, he comes to the conclusion that the God who possesses all wisdom has to reveal it to him. And there's an implication here for us as well. If you are looking for the answers to those big questions in your life, you will not find them unless God chooses to share that with you. And wouldn't you know it, as we come to the end of Job chapter 28, this is exactly what happens. The God who Job longs to hear from speaks and reveals to him, gives him some wisdom here. And so what is it? What is it? What is the revelation here at the end of Job 28 that Job is finally going to get the answers to his questions? What's it going to be? Well, verse 28, God says to the human race, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to shun evil is understanding. Now, elephant in the room, let's all just admit that in some ways that's a kind of a disappointing answer, isn't it? <laughs> Uh, if you were hoping, like Job, for an answer to all the questions in the world and that's all you get, just that one verse, then I think in some ways that would feel quite disappointing for Job because there's lots of things in Job's experience that that simply doesn't help with, that doesn't answer. You see, the paradigm is that man doesn't know, God does know, and God chooses to reveal to man not everything, but just enough for man to be getting on with. 
The fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. To shun evil is understanding. That's what God chooses to share. Now put yourself in Job's shoes at this point. Remember how for months he has been working through the, the worst ordeal anyone has ever gone through, asking, why, why am I suffering? Why is this happening to me? Why is my body covered with sores? Why has God taken my family? What did I do wrong? Did I do anything wrong? Why has God, who used to be so close to me, now become my enemy? Job is in agony with these sorts of questions. And he gets this. And this, from God, does not answer any of his questions. You could expect Job to be frustrated at this, but I think actually the tone of this verse is that there is great hope here. There is great clarity for Job right here in the middle of his turmoil. Job doesn't understand everything. He does understand just enough to keep going. The fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. To shun evil is understanding. And friends, I think God wants us to act on that revelation, even while we don't understand everything else that's happening. You know, uh, sometimes if you're like me, you might fall into that kind of trap of thinking that God owes you an answer. Do you ever find yourself thinking that way? Well, you say to God, you know what, God, I'm out. I, I'm, I'm checking out. I, I, I will get back on this horse. I will serve you again, God, when you make sense of this for me. Because right now this doesn't make sense. There's something going on in my life over here, God, and you've got it wrong. So you need to fix it. And then I'll serve you, God. You ever find yourself making that kind of a deal with God? To that, God basically says no deal. He says, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to reveal everything to you. I'm going to reveal just enough to you. That's God's reply to us in those moments. And I guess there could be many reasons why God does that. We're not told why. It's possible that God doesn't reveal everything to us, doesn't overload us with all the answers to all the whys in the universe because our brains just would not be able to comprehend it. That's quite feasible, I think. It's quite possible, too, that God chooses not to reveal everything to us to teach us humility, to remind us in our moments of weakness that he is God and we are not. He's the creator, and there is a massive gap between him and us, his creations. Maybe that's part of why God doesn't reveal everything to us. But that's the reality. God does not answer every question that we have. Job doesn't get the answers to the questions that he has, but he does get just enough to be going on with. Fear the Lord and shun evil. Or if I could perhaps put it in New Testament terms, trust and obey. That's what God has revealed to you. Trust and obey. Keep trusting your heavenly Father no matter what is going on in your life. Trust that he's good. Trust that he cares for you. Trust that he's in control. Trust that he will make all things right at the end of it all. Keep trusting him. You know, the remarkable thing about the book of Job is that he was able to keep trusting God despite the fact that he had so much less revelation than we do. 
how much more should we who live this side of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus have ample reason to keep trusting God when life feels out of control? Hasn't God proven himself to us? Hasn't God shown us that he loves us, that he is for us? Hasn't he demonstrated that he is trustworthy, that he keeps his promises, that he has raised his son Jesus from the dead and he will restore all things? Don't we have reason to trust God? Keep trusting him when nothing else makes sense. He's revealed that much to you. And keep obeying your Lord Jesus. Keep turning away from sin and turning towards righteousness and holiness because that is the right thing to do regardless of what else is going on in your life. Stick with that, Job. That's the right path. And you know, that actually takes us all the way back to the very beginning of the book of Job. Maybe you heard that echo in verse 28 from Job chapter 1, verse 1, when we are introduced to Job. He is described as that sort of a man, isn't he? He is a man, the most righteous man in the earth, the one who fears the Lord and turns away from evil. That's Job back in chapter 1. Chapter 2, when God describes Job in the heavenly court, he says, there's no one on earth like my servant Job. He's blameless, upright. He fears God and turns away from evil. That was Job at the start of the story. And here we are, 28 chapters later, throughout all of the suffering, all of the anguish, all of the turmoil, and Job comes to the realisation that he's been on the right track the whole time. God says to the human race, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. To shun evil is understanding. And sometimes, friends, in the midst of the confusion of our lives, Maybe that's the only thing we can see with clarity. We can't answer the why. Why is this happening to me? We don't know. Maybe it's one of those things that is just hidden in the heavenly places like it was for Job. How will this turn out? We don't know. How will I keep going another day? We just don't know. But we know that we can trust the God who made us. We know we can trust him to keep his promises. We know we can trust that he is good and in control and close to us. And so we could keep clinging to those promises, couldn't we? And we know that evil is still evil. We don't want to make peace with that and make compromise in the midst of our suffering. So we will still repent, turn away from sin. You know, when you live like that, despite not having the answers to your questions, God looks and he says, yes, that's wisdom. That's understanding. Uh, I drive a car that I'm somewhat embarrassed to drive. It's a terrible little box of a car. Lots of things don't work in it. The last thing that has stopped working in my car is the air conditioning, which has been fine unless it's raining because then I have a problem. My windscreen fogs up and I can't unfog it. Uh, A couple of months ago, I was driving back from Sydney coming down the M1. And it was a torrential rainstorm. You you know, that kind of heavy rain where your windscreen wipers going as fast as they can still can't get the water off your windscreen. It's not keeping up with it. The problem was amplified by the fact that my my windscreen was now fogged up as well. So I didn't have great visibility. So there I was driving down the M1, getting my jumper, trying to wipe my windscreen whilst I was driving. There was not much in that moment that was clear to me as I was driving along. I don't, I'm not setting a good example here. Don't do what I was doing there. Slow down. But as I was driving, there were periodically, every you know, few metres or so, just a little glint over on my left as my lights washed over those little reflectors, you know, the cat's eyes kind of on the side of the road. That was on my left. And then on my right, there were the lights from the other cars. 
And uh, I realized, well, I've got to avoid both these things. This is, this is, this is how I stay safe in this moment. <laughs> in the midst of suffering, sometimes it is like that. You, you can't see very far ahead of you. Your understanding is very limited. But you do know this. The fear of the Lord, that's wisdom. And to shun evil, that's understanding. And that's enough to keep going forward, to stay on that path. So even when you don't understand, just trust and obey. Let me pray for us. Gracious God, you have revealed more to us than we deserve. We are your enemies by rights, and yet you shower us with love and kindness and grace. You choose to stoop and to condescend and to make yourself known. You have shown us so much of yourself, so many answers as to what you're doing in the world. And so, Lord, we want to confess tonight that too often we feel dissatisfied with that we are sorry lord for expecting and demanding that you give us an explanation for what you're doing in this world and we thank you that you have revealed enough to us you have shown us your love you've shown us your care you have given us ample evidence of your faithfulness to your promises you have shown us what is good and right and holy and so, God, when we are in seasons where we don't understand anything else about what's going on, when we hurt, when we are confused, we pray, Lord, that that would be enough for us and that you would help us in those times to gladly trust and obey you. We ask for Jesus' sake. Amen.